0: with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 169 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? i'm doing pretty okay how are you michael i'm doing well thank you well well, we're today we're at that episode that we do, you know, a couple of times a year, Mm -hmm. where we invite you, members of our Connecting with Walt family, to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. Now, the questions are generally about Disney theme parks and resorts, Walt Disney's family, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney films, and more. A while back we put a call out for your questions and in this episode we are going to answer some of those questions. So usually the way it works is Craig chooses a question, I answer it first, then he answers it and then I choose a question and you know he answers it and then I respond and we go back and forth like that. Every once in a while there's just a factual question and either if it's more about Walt Disney World, Craig, Craig might just answer it. It's more of a history episode uh, question or something pertaining just to Disneyland. I may answer it only, but, um, anyway. So, so Craig, do you want to jump in and select a question from one of our categories?
1: I would absolutely love to. I'm actually going to ask the very first question that we have on our list because it, it jumped out to me and I don't remember if we've talked about it before. I don't remember if it's, if I even know this answer, but Spencer asked about background music in the parks and when it started. And uh, the fun part that we get to answer is one of our favorite background music loops to, to listen to, uh, uh when we're outside of the parks. But what is, when, when did parks music start in the background? <laughs>
0: That's an excellent question. I think I touched upon this in the 60 Years of Disneyland um, series that I did back in our Disneyland show. And there were a few short music loops when Disneyland opened in 1955, and one of these still remains in Disneyland to this day. Craig, can you guess which one might still remain? Oh, man. I... I am. It, kind It's it's like the it's the theme song for the Walt Disney Company. Well, that's
1: I was going to say. Probably going through <clears throat> um, going through Sleeping Beauty Castle, hearing "When Ex- You Wish Upon a Star." Exactly, and it's
0: yeah. the original soundtrack version of "When You Wish Upon the Star," uh, upon a star. And you're right, exactly. As you pass through Sleeping Beauty Castle, and this song is repeated over and over all day. And it still does. And the loop was meant to set the mood as guests entered Fantasyland, and that's all these music loops did in those days. In the early days, both in Frontierland and Adventureland, the entrances had had similar loops for for those. To set the mood for entering those lands. So, Frontierland had an old time banjo song, and that just repeated over and over again. And these are like three minute loops. So, that's about how long it took you to pass through the portal into the realm. And Adventureland had the sound of jungle animals and native. Warrior drums. Now, the interesting thing is that Tomorrowland did not have an entry loop. When you look at the original photos of old Tomorrowland, it really didn't have an entrance. You know, you walked in, and there were the flags, and there was the the clock of the world, and all that. But there was no real entry where there was a sign you were passing beneath or anything like that. So that may be why there was no loop for it. Also. That land, as you know, from listening to that series, 60 years of Disneyland, that land was thrown together mm-hmm. in just the last few months before the, that realm opened, for the park opened. So they may not have even had time to come up with what would be some sort of music of the future. After that, all of the music heard at Disneyland in the 50s and 60s was provided by live musicians. So there were bandstands located around every corner of Disneyland so no hour long pre-recorded loops could be heard within an entire large area that we're accustomed to today and uh, which is why it's so which is one of the things that made Disneyland up until the pandemic so special because there was still a lot of of live music in almost all the realms and uh, it was so heartbreaking that, you know, entertainment took such severe cuts mm-hmm. in Disneyland and at Walt Disney World. Um, several attraction queue areas did have music loops, but again, these were on the average of about three minutes long. And they were located within e-ticket attractions, like It's a Small World, and Pirates of the Caribbean in the queues or when you entered the queue. But little by little, in the late 60s, uh Disneyland finally began to add some area music to specific areas, one of the park. And one of the first areas to do this was Main Street, USA. But the weird thing was, it wasn't themed to the specific time period of Main Street, you know, that 1890s era. It was mostly contemporary easily listening music. So it definitely did not fit the theme of Main Street USA. (laughs) Now, this changed in the early 1970s when Disneyland hired an official announcer whose name was Jack Wagner. And before being hired at Disneyland, Jack was a professional radio announcer and he was everywhere on the radio in the day, but he was also well-versed in the inner workings of production music libraries and, and through his work uh, mainly in recording advertisements, you know, and uh, for TV and radio. And at the time, many music studios produced albums of instrumental music that could be rented out for commercial use. And Jack just had that knack of finding the right music for the right purpose. So Jack was visiting Disneyland in the early days of his career with Disney. He noticed that the music he heard on Main Street clashed with its turn-of-the-century theme. And so he went to the Disney executives and he offered his services to create a special new loop of period-appropriate music that would provide the proper atmosphere. And his offer was accepted. And he went through all these albums, including Disney soundtrack albums, but also ragtime albums, Dixieland albums, all kinds of things. And he created this loop of these old-time songs, and it was a big hit with Disneyland guests. And the Disney executives noticed this. And little by little, Jack became not only the official announcer of the Disney parks, But he became the official background music designer, and his timing couldn't have been better for Jack because Walt Disney World was under construction at this time. So when Walt Disney World opened in 1971, the new Magic Kingdom was designed specifically with area music in mind, and Jack Wagner designed the new loops for the entire park all by himself. So, and, and the Disney executives gave him carte blanche to create these area loops exactly the way he wanted. And his loops were then copied and shipped back to Disneyland. And you know, some of Jack Wagner's loops can still be heard into parks today, but In 1992, many of them were replaced with new music. And why 1992? Because this coincided with the opening of Euro Disneyland in Paris. So for the new European park, many new loops were created, and many of this music made its way back to the parks in the United States. So Spencer, that's how we got our background music. So uh, for the parks that we all love. And a lot of people don't notice it, but I notice the background music. And sometimes I'll sit down and I'll eat my popcorn. And I like to watch, I used to like to watch the children interact with, you know, the characters or I'd, I'd love to sit in New Orleans square and watch the rivers of America and all the boats go by and listen to the jazz music. And, um but there are certain areas of the park where I specifically sit down just to relax and enjoy the music. Um, So Craig, where are some of your favorite places to listen to the background music?
1: I have a lot. So I'll I'll talk about the ones that I like specifically when I'm in the parks. And then I'll also mention the ones I listen to when I'm at home. But Mm -hmm. uh, I, my, I think my favorite background music, it's probably a tie between a, being at Disneyland and walking through Sleeping Beauty Castle and hearing When You Wish Upon a Star. Like I I don't want to sound like a crazy neurotic person, but I have to hit the timing right at least once every trip. Uh, like that perfect timing of stepping right into the castle as soon as the actual lyrics start. And if I don't if I don't do it then it's not a it's not a complete trip. And uh, it's just to me. It is. It is perfect. It is a quintessential Disney moment. As as you're making your way through, but uh, just as important as that for me is actually when I'm heading to Walt Disney World and specifically Magic Kingdom, and either making my way off of the ferry boat or coming down the monorail monorail ramp. And I first start to hear the train station uh, music loop that's playing right by the entrance turnstiles of the Magic Kingdom. It's, you know, it bounces all over the place with with music and it has When You Wish Upon a Star and just all all of the classic songs. And I, I like hearing the Alice in Wonderland music in there, too. But those are the ones to me that, like, that's that instant trigger. But... I I I love a lot of parks music. I haven't been to to Magic Kingdom yet since they changed our Adventureland music loop. That just happened like this week in the in the past 7 days. So I need to get over and listen to that, but I I like I I usually like anything that kind of has an Adventureland feel to it. Of course I like I like the entrance music loops over at Epcot, but when i'm at home a lot of the music i find myself listening to is pretty much uh solely dedicated to the jungle cruise loop and that you hear during the queue i love that era of music and breaking in with all the uh announcements uh, you just can't get much better than that it is a it's a solid solid loop and Then, funny enough, my most played loop that I listen to over and over again is actually the Christmas music loop that you will hear in Hollywood studios around the Echo Lake area. And I know it's just it's. Not Disney music. It's not even instrumental. It's literally just Christmas songs, but it's all, it's that era of Christmas music that, that I love. And I know you love it too, too, Michael. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a perfect compilation. They, they chose all of the best songs and put it in a loop. And so it, it's one of my, uh, it's one of my pick me up, uh, loops that I'll listen to. And then I also, I love the Disneyland Esplanade music yeah i I think that's also perfect i listen that i probably listen to that at least once a week while while i need background noise going on but it's background music loops at disney it's it is literally the score of the parks it's it's like any movie score that you hear it's it it is if it's chosen correctly then it enhances without necessarily dominating but when it's really good it stands out and you don't forget it. And I just love it so much. But what are your favorite ones?
0: For me, when I'm, it's funny that probably when I'm in the park, when I listen to it at home, sort of coincide a bit for me, by far main street USA. Uh, when I walk into Disneyland or the magic kingdom, and I walk through the tunnel, the magic tunnel, you know, and I hear that music. It's like all the cares of the world that I carry with me just fall off. And that music just cheers me up. And then you have the grand, well, of course, then, you know, Disneyland, we get, you know, I look at Walt's apartment, but, and then, but then you have the grand reveal when you get to the top of main street and you see the respective castles. And so I will hang out in main street. You know, for a time, different places, whether I'm in the Magic Kingdom or Disneyland, I've hang out places where I like to listen to the music and watch people and all that. And then I agree, the Esplanade at Disneyland is great music. Um, And then I like the Fantasyland music. It's a little hard to find a spot to sit down at Disneyland and enjoy the Fantasyland music just because it's so compact mm-hmm. and busy. And I swear they've taken out the seating in there. Uh, some of the seating and um, with the project stardust um, you know, I I think there's less seating in the park and um, and, and then the other place where I will relax in, and I already mentioned it, what is new Orleans square at Disneyland. I'll either listen to the live music or I'll, uh, you know, like the, you know, or at the Royal street, you know, veranda there, or I will, um, I'll just sit on a bench. There's a lot of places to sit there and I'll listen to the recorded music, the live music. Cause there's a lot, there used to be a lot of live musicians there and just relax and let's um, smell the churros or I'll get beignets, you know, and hot chocolate. And uh, anyway, so those are my favorite places in the park. And for, uh, at- Magic, And then I love the music at Animal Kingdom and in the Africa section. I just think that's really terrific. I, I enjoy it because Animal Kingdom is my favorite park at the Walt Disney World. Yep. And um, the music I listen to, you know, it's funny. I go through phases when I listen to when I'm not in the park. When I'm working on the show, I usually listen to music that corresponds to the topic I'm working on. Or researching. So I listen to all kinds of stuff. And then also it'll depend on the holiday. So like I'll listen to all the different Christmas, um, you know, loops that there are for all the parks, or if parks have a Halloween loop, I'll listen to that. Um, otherwise, probably the loops I listen to the most are all the different Main Street loops for both the Magic Kingdom and Disneyland, because Disneyland has several, depending upon, you know, the era, because mm-hmm. they've changed it a few times and, and the Esplanade. I also like the Buena Vista Street Loop for California Adventure. Yes. Yeah. As well. That's a really good one that I'll, I'll listen to. So, so it just depends on, on what I'm working on and the season. But otherwise I go, I tend to go back to those loops and the New Orleans Square um loop as well
1: yeah it's so. you know it, they it, you never know what kind of mood you're going to be in and mm-hmm. like i i used to listen to the trader sam's loops a lot because uh obviously i've i've made my love of tiki very known but then once i once i started seeking out a lot of the actual the the music that's used in those loops i i start listening to those albums and I, I have favorites, so then I don't want to listen to it in the loop. And, you know, I, I feel the same way about that when I'm listening to something like the Esplanade uh, music. I'll I'll hear a song from one of the Disney movies and or the attractions, and then I'll want to just go and focus on all of the music just based on that movie or attraction. And that's how I end up listening to the Pinocchio soundtrack, at, at least – Three times a month or, or the Mary Poppins soundtrack the same way too. It's. It just—I always get led down a different wormhole, and luckily, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're we're fortunate that so much Disney music is so widely available. And I wish it was all available, but there's there's so much out there that we can get our hands on, and and YouTube has only made it more easy as as the years have gone on. Because early internet, it was it was not the easiest getting your your Disney parks music. Mm
0: -hmm. And then I do like to listen to. The various parade music loops and the uh, fireworks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. music loops as well from parks all around the world. And I listen to Disney music loops or um, jazz or classical music when I'm working in the garden. Again, it just depends what kind of a mood I'm in, yeah. or if I'm in the front garden or the back garden and stuff like that. Yeah. So. And how much I want to annoy the neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Alrighty. That was a good question. Yep. That was a lot of fun. So Also depends if I want to listen to vinyl or uh C too. It, it it'll it'll determine what I listen to. Alrighty. Um but I do wonder though, some of these sites, where do they get the where do they get this music? Like all these loops for background music from, you know, the sixties and stuff for Disneyland. I, I just
1: don't know where they get it. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I have tried to follow all of that as much as possible throughout the years. And, you know, I know like at one point in time that, you know, the, the biggest thing was doing the induction recording where people would basically bring a, it's like a suction cup that you'd stick on a speaker and you would be able to record the music live. And then if you knew a little bit about, uh, audio, then you could clean it up and, and make it sound good, and then you know choose choose how you wanted to to play the loop through. But that's how a lot of people did it, and then yeah, a lot of that older stuff started to come out. And I don't know if it's just that that people were lucky enough to to record it back in the day, or if there's people who worked with Disney that were able to share some of the older stuff. Like I, it I, I has don't to know be that, how, but yeah, because that's it, awfully good quality. Yeah, and a lot of stuff, you know, if it's commercially released and people can start piecing this stuff together that way, that's one thing. But, you know, I know Disney has, they have the records of everything, Uh, you know, used to be Randy Thornton's like life goal was to, to try to release as much as possible. And I feel like the last really decent. Theme Park Audio release was probably the the 50th anniversary uh-huh. box set for for Disneyland, and there hasn't really been anything that is has matched it in that time. But uh, the the, the audio's all out there, and it's just about how people get their hands on it. So I know, like yeah. a, the way a lot of the parade source audio music comes through and stage shows and stuff is because like they would give the um, they'd give the audio to sign language interpreters and such, so that way they could memorize the music in case they needed to interpret it. And at that point, you know, they they just have piles and piles of music sitting around from all the shows that they've had to memorize over the years. So I, I know there's always random little uh opportunities like that for music to come about. But with some of the, like, the longer loops and, and such, that is it's a mystery of how it happens yeah. and how it comes to be. But I like it. <laughs> I hope Randy Thornton produces a, a 50th
0: anniversary collection for Walt Disney World that he did for Disneyland.
1: I I would love it. I and I just got my my 50th box set of Disneyland. I just finally bought a copy of it this past summer. And so like now now I'm ready for Walt Disney World to actually have one next year cuz yeah. It only took me what 15 years to to finally get <laughs> that box set, but I I was able to find a great deal on Mercari. I I got the the CD set for I want to say it was $20 less than what the sticker price was on it and it was wow. still in the shrink wrap. Everything That's was amazing. perfect. Yeah, it was it was the happiest day of my life. Like it's it was a lot of money then. It's still a lot of money now, but I I don't know how many times I've listened to that that album all the way through. So to actually own it and own the vinyl that's inside of it and the book, like that was something I wanted and I was going to be okay with a used copy, but to have a, a brand new copy 15 years after the fact, that's, you don't, you don't see that all the day time. No. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a good discussion. Thank you, Spencer. (laughs) Anyway. Okay.
0: uh, I'll choose the next one. Still in the theme park category. Gordon asked, behind-the-scenes tours. I've done the seeds tour twice. I, I assume he means um, the the behind-the-seeds tour at the Land Pavilion at Epcot. Um, and he loved it. Which tours do you recommend? Well, since Walt Disney World has way more tours than Disneyland did when in the day, anyway. Um, Craig, I'll let you start with this. I've done a lot
1: of the tours. I'm, but I'll let you start. That, here's where I'm going to shock you, though. I have done very little tours with okay. backstage at Walt Disney World. And uh, a lot of the reason for that was uh, like I never really had a big interest in doing the uh, the the grand behind the scenes tour of Walt Disney World where you get to go in the utilidors because mm-hmm. I got to do that during my traditions, so I didn't need to to do it again and when my family would travel down uh, to the parks as we were coming down uh, uh while i was growing up we didn't have a lot of time to really dedicate we're, our schedules were pretty packed and then we would leave one day for the pool and 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 relaxing going mini golfing and driving the boats on on bay lake and such so we didn't we didn't do tours or anything like that and and it's a lot of opportunities have come up through through my working with the Diz to do these tours. So I've done some of the holiday tours that like are in conjunction with Adventures by Disney and and a couple backstage tours, but even like behind the scenes behind the seeds tour, I still haven't even done that. And it's not it's not out of a lack of interest. It's just it's I it's one of those things that I've just never really felt compelled to do a lot of these tours. And I think it's just it's from the nature that I, I spent years and years backstage at theme parks. So it's not something that that even even jumps out at me to do. And and then like with I've done the Adventures by Disney Backstage Magic tour twice now. And that gives you a lot of backstage opportunities at Disneyland. So then when you, you do those, it's, it kind of is like, okay, well, it's very similar to what I know from Universal and my time at Disney. And so I don't necessarily need to do an equivalent tour in the Magic Kingdom or at Walt Disney World too. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's why I really haven't done any, but I, I, I would like to hear what your favorite ones are. Hmm.
0: Well, I've liked almost all of them. Um, I did, uh, back I did the big eight hour backstage magic and I loved it. Uh, you get to go, you know, where they create the topiaries and, and, and for the park. And that I found fascinating since gardening is my hobby and I have. Five Disney topiaries in my back garden, and um, but you get to go behind the scenes in all the parks. The only disappointing one, my favorite park, Animal Kingdom, it was basically a bathroom stop, and and then they showed you this is what we do to prepare for, for receiving guests for our backstage tours, and that really this is how you like set up. The lunches and all that, I mean, it was so disappointing. But they have a lot of, well, hopefully they will again, have a lot of backstage Animal Kingdom tours. Um, I did Disney's The Magic Behind Our Steam Trains tour, if you're really into steam trains and all that it's a really good tour i enjoyed it and you get to go to the roundhouse Um, i did the marceline the magic kingdom tour that was fine you know i sort of knew everything about it i thought it was a some of it was a bit of a stretch but i think as a good introductory tour it's great Um, for folks, um, I did behind the seeds. I really enjoyed it. I want one of those molds so I can grow pumpkins that look like Mickey Mouse and they don't sell them. They don't sell some of the cool stuff. I did, um, the tour of the Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival. That was a really hard tour to get, um, that when that's offered it books like right away, I tried for years to get it, and I finally got it, and that was really fascinating because you find out because you got to go behind the scenes of some of the pavilions, and that was cool. And then again, they ta- told you about how they set up um, some of the displays and like those floating gardens in the lagoon and you know things like that. I I love that. I did. Undiscovered future world. Again, that was okay. I did another Epcot tour and I can't remember the name of it. There were so many incorrect facts. I was shocked. I mean, I, I was appalled. And I afterwards, and this woman prided herself that she wrote this tour herself. I actually stayed behind. And I started to tell her, I'm sorry, but I think you need to read a book on your founder. I mean, she even got wrong where he was born. And I, mean, and I went through it and she finally said, well, this is what they told, sent me from Burbank. I said, I find that really difficult to believe. But since then, I don't find it hard to believe based on other things I've heard come out of the official company. So I actually went to guest services and complained and said this woman should not be leading this tour and somebody needs to rewrite this script and if, if she is reading from a script and all that now i think they i don't know they gave me a free magic band or something um <laughs> which wasn't my goal but i i and the next time then i think i took undiscovered future world and i told the person about that and apparently that tour guide no longer worked with them. And she told me, oh, you should take the tour with me. Because I told her some of the things that were shared. And even she was appalled. She said, no, we have a different script. <laughs> so anyway. um, Then there's the Wild Africa Trek um, that I took at Animal Kingdom. That was fantastic. Oh, my gosh, that was so good. And you get to go up and close to the hippos and things like that. I really recommend that one yeah that's so, that's
1: one of the few that is on it's always been on my list uh especially for for kylie because i know she really wants to do that and we we've talked about it every so often and you know anniversaries and birthdays and stuff and we just never never got around to actually doing it always found something yeah. else to do instead
0: yeah and then i took another one where it's the it's the basically it's the safari but you're in your own Um, vehicle and you, but but it's your own safari and you pull off, and you get to talk. They tell you more about the animals. You get to observe them. I think you have lunch one of the at an observation tower. But you're actually able to get photos of the animals because you're not bouncing along, and all that. So it's it's a really cool. And you're in a special truck, so you're so that you can when they pull over you can stand up. And all that. So um, it's really cool. I took the Disneyland, the Grand Circle tour. That is their version of the Behind the Steam Trains tour. And I took the Walk and Waltz Disneyland Footsteps Guided Tour. Again, a good introductory tour for people who have never been to Disneyland. And um one tour they don't offer anymore. I think it was a test tour and they, it was a Disneyland horticultural tour. It was probably the best Disneyland tour. One of the best Disney tours I ever took oh. because it, first of all, Disneyland has a huge history of their horticulture, like where they got some of these plants, but they talked about how the, the landscaping and the horticulture, especially in front of the attractions and around the attractions tells the story of the interior of the attraction and sets the mood or sets the story. It was absolutely fascinating. Like just the the segment on, on the plants they chose for the haunted mansion for each season and how they tell the story and the colors and all of that. Oh, it was incredible. And they only offered it a handful of times. They had a cool pin too. And, um, it, it's disappointing that they don't offer that anymore but so those are all the tours I took and the exception of that one Epcot tour and that was because of the tour guide and a, and a terrible script um these are all these are all really good tours that backstage magic one the eight hour one is great and if you don't take it during the Christmas season you get to go into the uh the warehouse where they have all the Christmas ornaments stored, Christmas decorations stored. And you hear the whole, first of all, it's amazing how they have them organized, but then you hear the whole story of how they decorate all the parks and the cruise lines. And that's fascinating. And, um, but if it's the Christmas season, well, all the decorations aren't there. So you sort of bypass that.
1: Yeah, and it's even a little bit earlier than that because, uh, well, the just earlier this week when i was uh, driving home from property they had already had some of the christmas trees sitting out starting to to be assembled together before then they make their way to their certain areas and then get completely uh-huh. assembled so they're they're already ramping up for for christmas right now and that's a pretty good rule of thumb is once you get into about mid october that's when they start uh pulling the stuff out of the warehouse but You're, you're absolutely right. I've, I've been in the warehouse and I've done that tour and, and saw inside. It is extremely fascinating. And, uh, you mentioned Cruise Line in that too. So I wanted to give a, a a plug if you, if you ever are on Cruise Line, they do offer a, a free tour that's, uh, I think they do it maybe, once or twice during like a three and four night cruise and basically they will tell you the story of disney cruise line uh, as it you start in paulo and and see the touches that they they have in there and they take you all the way through and on different levels and floors to to kind of show you how they tell the story as you move into different parts of the ship. And it's actually, it's really, really fascinating. It's really the, the, the ideas that they put into Disney cruise line were really well thought out. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just a simple, I want to say for like 45 minute ish tour, but you learn so much about Disney cruise line in that time and get all these little interesting tidbits that you can then annoy your, your family and friends with for the the rest yeah, of your I- cruise. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Carol and I've taken that one and then they did I don't know if they still do if it's part of this, they did like a culinary tour. We went behind the scenes in the kitchen.
1: I haven't I don't know done if they that still... on cruise oh, I haven't done that on Disney. I've done that on other cruise lines, and if you ever have mm-hmm. the chance to do it, I absolutely recommend it. It is uh it's very interesting scene inside those those cruise line kitchens. I do I do know uh Similar to that, though, obviously, pre-COVID and such, that there was a, a special uh, a cooking, not a tour, but a cooking experience that you could do, I believe, on the Disney Fantasy and maybe Disney Dream 2, where you actually got to go in the kitchen of Paulo and learn how to cook some of the dishes and then mm. eat a meal. And so that's that then that of course is a that was a paid opportunity and if it comes back it will still be a paid opportunity but uh that that is a way to get inside that kitchen at least and mm-hmm. and it was a lot of fun when I I did it really screwed up making ravioli I'm not good at that but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to learn how to do that okay okay Craig back to you it is back to me um I think <laughs> It, it, did you do research on all of the Spencer questions? I did okay I'm gonna ask you the third one just because uh, i again we've we know how much you love gardening and in that topic so Spencer gets uh, two questions in this episode, but he asked great questions, so we, we have to oh go you're not gonna at, we're not gonna talk about where in Disneyland to see cats <laughs> 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 i mean it's uh, we can talk about that one too, but I feel like. I feel like once Disneyland reopens, everywhere we're going to tell them to go look for a cat, then the Disneyland cats aren't going to be there. Because, like, I feel like I see them every single time I'm at Trader Sam's. Like, without fault, oh, I will see a cat Disneyland Hotel. Time. You yeah. can't go to Disneyland
0: Hotel without seeing cats. Yeah.
1: But uh, we'll, we'll tell people that, and then they'll go to, to Disneyland Hotel and say, I didn't see a single cat the entire time. You could not be more wrong. Let's say, well, that's... <laughs> now, they have... There's a feeding station there, so the cats will be out and about uh, there we we got it but spencer did ask do you have any insight into how walt disney world controls local flora and fauna for example how do they keep the polynesian from being overrun by snakes and other wildlife and do you know of any other sources which discuss this topic i don't know there's all kinds of sites out there websites and all that but um that talk about it, yeah,
0: because basically well, Disney World's in the middle of a swamp, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know there's going to be mosquitoes and snakes, and we all know there's alligators and all of that, and um uh, you know, and then there's aphids that would you know devour the plants and all that, so basically one of the, so Disney has a lot of methods that they use to control all of the pests, an interesting thing is like Disneyland cats are one of the pest controls there and they do eat some of the rodents and cat and snakes. Walt Dis Disney- not a lot is said about, is there a cat population at Walt Disney world, but you know, there is. So um, there has to be. So there's probably, so they-, they probably utilize cats there as well. But yeah. um Disney releases millions of good insects. And, you know, they have, you always see a video of um, them doing ladybug releases with children. You know, and that's one of them. And they also house chickens throughout the resorts and they, they check the chick, the chickens every week for the presence of antibodies to virus, um, viruses that are born by mosquitoes because the the chickens are not susceptible to them but they will then carry the antibodies and so then they use the results to decide uh, if they need to spray chemicals and over the years there have been times where disney has had to spray chemicals because their good insects um were you know weren't couldn't handle the mosquitoes or the chickens were showing that, okay, there are mosquitoes with um, d- d- uh, diseases like the Zika virus and all that. You might remember a few years ago, all the rooms at the Disney Resort had mosquito repellent and all that. And also, once in a while, then Disney will warn guests, don't come out at sunrise or sunset because they're doing spraying, or they might advise guests to wear long sleeves. And that's because they're doing spraying. Um, also the, the Walt Disney World's horticultural team does release good insects. Um, you know, sometimes like in 2009, they released ten and a half million insects and there's, um, they have names that I can't pronounce like Carries Puntzippies. And there's a little, uh, there's a little pirate bug, Orius, the, and, and some of these bugs, they gobble up small caterpillars and insects and all of that. And, you know, I already talked about um, rodents are handled differently depending upon location. Disneyland feral cats are used. They prowl the park at night. And Disney does have feeding stations. And, and their staff that takes care of the horses also takes care of the cats. There at uh, Walt Disney World, non-venomous snakes take care of the rodents. So you are mm-hmm. going to see snakes, Spencer, but they're part of the uh, rodent control
1: population. There, yeah, and yeah. there are some cats around, as you alluded to. Uh, like, it, it's just it, it's what happens in in any neighborhood where there's problems. It's the cats will. Find a way. Life finds a way, as Mm -hmm. Jeff Goldblum put it so well in (laughs) Jurassic Park. And so, yeah, sometimes it's it's uh, unavoidable to get that. But uh, you know, the snakes you you see them pretty often, uh, just hiding right around like pathways and such, and they they scurry off Uh, most of the time. You're probably you'll you'll see a lizard instead, and that's another big part of of florida in general is that uh, the mosquitoes you know we, we they get bad in in areas that are more uh, dense with with water and such but i i w- cannot tell you how many lizards actually y- you do see eating up all those bugs that you don't want around they just they devour them so uh there uh, nature has a lot of ways to to take care of the the other problems in nature mm-hmm. that's true
0: all right, my turn. Well, Lisa asked a question. I watched and enjoyed the Imagineering story. What are some attractions or areas you'd like to see plussed? And what would you like
1: to see done? That is a... That's a loaded question, because there is obviously a lot of of areas that, that could be plused <laughs> in, in all of the parks. So, in... I'm gonna say I'll start with I'll start with Walt Disney World, and I I want to just I, this might be a softball one, but one area that I would like to see plused in particular, and I guess it would go for Disneyland too, is I, I want to see Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge in its full version that it was supposed to be with mm-hmm. all of the droids being in the park with the extra dining that we may or may not ever get now uh, because of everything that's happened in recent times. I I would love the the extra attraction that was supposed to be in there. Yeah, I there's that is like a, a shining example of an area that i it i don't even know if it's fair to say i want to see that plus because i just want to see what it was supposed to be before you'd
0: like to see it finished (laughs) yeah i
1: would like to see actual actors in the area i would like to be able to see your storyline completely thought out because every time i go and crash the money in falcon no one in the cantina later tells me that that i can't have a drink because i owe hondo money for this and that i like none of that ended up happening and it's it's frankly it i i feel like before they launch the hotel that will help you run that storyline that they need to get it working in the park because you can't have this experience in the hotel where your storyline stretches all the way through and then you get in the park and you have just an average experience like any other park guest where you're just treated Mm -hmm. like a normal person and you're not you're not living a story, so that's that's a big a big one that I would like to see plus and and done in another way. And I am I'm going to bring this up because I think it is happening here in Walt Disney World. I know uh, I know I want to say it was news today. Maybe posted a rumor about it and then posted a photo from inside. But our are it's a small world? Desperately needs some help. It is it is not a great attraction and i am one of the people who actually truly does love all of the disney characters in it's a small world and i i think that our our it's a small world at walt disney world really needs that that extra plusing with those characters and i believe they they spotted a week or two ago they spotted a uh, fifi uh, minnie's minnie's dog in the attraction hiding and so it looks like that rumor might actually come true but that's that's one thing in particular i would like to see plus at walt disney world i I really want to see i want to see it's a small world get get a little bit of love that it deserves and i'd like to see pirates of the caribbean be given a little love too but i mean it just went through it's its last change in alteration, so I don't think I don't think what I want to see out of that attraction is ever going to be what they are going to do with that attraction. So I'm going to give up hope on that. I want to see our Tomorrowland start to become more relevant again because our People Movers just been down uh, Carousel of Progress. It's like hit or miss on whether or not the audio actually works in it anymore. Uh, You know, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor is is vacant right now because of COVID. It's still there, but it's just not being used. Stitch's Great Escape is is also now empty. So our Tomorrowland is really trying to go up against Disneyland as which can be more irrelevant. And you know, of course, that's if I'm talking about Disneyland, that's one thousand percent. The area that needs to be plused and it, it, they can do anything to that area and and it will make it better besides take away stuff for or let stuff get more irrelevant, but that's I know that was a lot, and I know you're gonna have a lot too, so uh maybe there'll be some crossover, probably not about it's a small world though
0: well, I think you you almost said everything I had to say um but um, yeah, I agree. It's a Small World at Magic Kingdom. There, there's a lot of dead space between the scenes. I'd like to see that filled in as well. One of the things is I think um, the one at Disneyland is much more lush um, than the Magic Kingdoms. So I, I find it sort of dull and dreary. I don't know why. I think just because it's not, I don't know, it, it's just, you know, it's not full, you know? And, and that's fine adding more figures in, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be more like Hong Kong's or, you know, Tokyo's where they, they have even more figures in than Disneyland does. Maybe they'll fill in some of that vacant space. I hope they don't, I hope they don't diddle with the, um, soundtrack because I, I don't care that they added in the soundtracks and the films mm-hmm. at Disneyland. I, I don't think they did a good job blending it in. I agree with, um, Disneyland's Tomorrowland, it's a mess. You know, we have that people mover track is still there after decades. And it's just an eyesore. And it's nice that they're fixing the front. I think it's interesting. They're making it look more like the 50s, you know, the 60s version, you know, entrance. Mm-hmm. Even though they're not putting in the, the fountains, they are putting in planters that are reminiscent of the fountains in in that area. Um, so I'm wondering if that's sort of an idea of things to come, because I think that they need to go back and redo it of what, you know, the concept of what the future would look like from the fifties. So, you know, a, a Googie googly style
1: mm-hmm.
0: kind of thing. And there needs to be more action, out there like I talked about a while back the future can't be that everything's on the inside and nothing to attract the eye or stimulate the imagination on the outside so they need to go back to more of the 1967 version of Tomorrowland and um, with more kinetics and things like that yep. so they need, to, they need to have something that they can't just knock down the people move track. attract there has to be something that replaces it visually and all that. But, um, and Mickey's Toontown at Disneyland, they've gutted so much of it. And I think it's great that they're putting in, uh, you know, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad, even though I don't like that style of Mickey and Minnie. Uh, I'm glad they're investing in it, but there's that whole other side, the Chip and Dales, the Goofies, um, Donald Ducks. They really took so much out of it when they went through that. The lawyer stage, the lawyers are changing everything. So they need to do something to make that side of Toontown more interesting and more interactive for the younger guests. And
1: then just something you sort of climb through. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that area when Runaway Railway does open up one day, it is going to be so congested that they need... uh, I, I'm really worried that even more gets stripped away from there because they, they want to make sure that the infrastructure is set up well for runaway railway. But yeah, it's, uh, anything they can do to make Toontown deserve it of, of its spot that it has in Disneyland, I think is, is, is important. And even saying that it's Toontown deserves to be there uh, Toontown is even in a stripped down shell of what it is right now it is still a very magical uh magical part of disneyland and it's it's one of my favorite parts of the park and i don't know if that's just because we don't we don't have it here in walt disney world i don't know if it's because i just i love roger rabbit that much so i like cartoon spin if i truly enjoy some of going through mickey's house and stuff i don't know what it is but i i would love it to always get the attention that it deserves. Mm-hmm.
0: And I would like to see in the main in Main Street Opera House somewhere um, more elaborate Walt Disney story mm-hmm. in there and maybe they can team up with the Walt Disney Family Foundation and put something that tells more about Walt. Um, I mean, he built that park. He lived in that park. There, sh- He should have more of a physical presence or people learn more about who he was yeah you know and what he accomplished
1: i i think that even though it needs updated the one man's dream video that we have in walt disney world i i I think you spruce that up a little bit more it's a good story why can't they even rotate that like every other show between between great moments with uh mr lincoln and Mm -hmm. and then walt disney i mean i know it's uh, that is not necessarily the nicest way to be to to mr lincoln but the the past bunch of times that i've been in there it's it's been playing to 20 people in the theater so uh, i'm sure really busy days there's a lot of people who want it but i'm i'm sure a lot of them just want to break from the heat and to get off their feet and so you know what why why not rotate it? Maybe do like yeah. do like what Walt Disney World was doing with uh, the beauty and the beast and Impressions de France and and do like maybe the Walt Disney story for the last couple hours of the day or first couple hours in the morning. Just something. Something like that. Yeah. And it's an excellent idea. So I think that's a
0: perfect venue for it. And then have more artifacts of his
1: out in the that tell his story you know, out in the lobby area. We are just about out of time, I believe. So I'm going to ask you one last question, Michael. And this one comes from Mackenzie, And McKenzie asks, have you ever heard if Walt had a favorite attraction at the park? And I have one idea what his favorite attraction might be. But um, I and it'd be the trains. But was mm-hmm. there anything else?
0: yeah you know based if you listen to last week's episode, you know the trains <laughs> Walt, he, Walt had his engineer's outfit in his um apartment, and he would drive the trains whenever he felt like it, but he had other a few other attractions favorite attractions, one of his favorites was the jungle cruise, and he would sometimes captain a boat himself. Especially when he was touring VIPs. That was always a favorite, you know, photo shot of him standing with, you know, Nehru or, or you know, another head of state, the Shah of Iran or whomever it might be that, that he was with in the park. And also, you know, like all of us, he had different rides that were his favorites at different times, you know, depending on on his mood. Usually, you know, we all know he, Walt had a fascination with technology. So whatever the Imagineers were working on, you know, at the time would be his favorite, because it was usually the cutting edge technology that they were um, working on, you know, that they were working on. So Walt, that became his favorite, whatever it was. Interestingly, I read that he asked that the Carousel of Progress be kept open as long as possible after his death. Also, there were some attractions that he helped pay for, so they were his favorite. Uh The Enchanted Tiki Room, and also it included the first audio animatronics. That was one of his favorites, and he would often go to that attraction. He also helped pay... um. He helped pay for the Mark Twain Riverboat, and he would often ride it when he was in a bad mood. So, yes, yeah, so it wasn't just the trains that Walt liked to ride. And I would imagine if he had lived, he would be seen riding the Pirates of the Caribbean um, attraction. Oh. Um a Michael. lot, too, but that's just a speculation on my part.
1: I was gonna say, Michael, you know we're not allowed to talk about what we would think <laughs> that walt would think about stuff if, if we can't do that if we don't let people ask us those questions and I know we, we sure did he, get those questions
0: <laughs> he did oh, we did, but he did you know he did approve the final script and he did um see it laid out at the studio and they took him in a chair. And went through a couple of the key scenes and he approved those. So he
1: um so he did see it in a sense. Oh, yeah. uh, very few yeah. people know that Walt actually wrote the line ten for a hen himself, and it just took them forty <laughs> years to put it in. Yes, I'm that might sure. be a lie. That's it's, <laughs> it's a lie. I'm just gonna say I don't want to confuse okay. anyone. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs>
0: All righty. So we will have another episode with more of your questions. But you know, it's not going to be for a while because we actually are going to celebrate Halloween. And we're going to have a couple of special guests in the next two weeks, if all goes as planned, to help us celebrate. So I hope you'll be joining us to learn a little more about Disney and Halloween to get you in the spirit. But now it's time for This Week in Disney History. Okay, well, Craig, here we are in October 18th. Still, still a lot on the opening of Walt Disney World and, you know, the Magic Kingdom and Epcot Center. Mm-hmm. So, for October 18th, United States President Nixon visited Walt Disney World on October 18th,
1: 1971. What was the purpose of his visit? Um, I mean, I doubt that the purpose was just to check in and, and see it. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe dedicate an attraction or, or christen an attraction.
0: Well, sort of, maybe. Well, maybe to christen it in his mind. <laughs> he visited for a special showing of the Hall of Presidents so he could view oh. his audio animatronic figure. I actually um, got that. <laughs> yeah. President Nixon had hoped to attend the opening ceremonies of Walt Disney World later in the month, but due to the difficulty in getting the proper amount of security, those
1: plans had to be canceled i i should have got that i actually uh on on october 1st this year even though it was a sad day with all the cast members and you know, finding out they couldn't couldn't come back that week uh they i made sure i rode every open opening day attraction and oh, what's fun yeah and i i was starting to make a video of it and then I realized that I, I screwed up a couple things, and I just wasn't happy with it, so it never ended up releasing it. But I did ride every every opening day attraction that was currently open at Magic Kingdom on October first. And uh, thanks to our trivia, I I was able to skip the long line that was Peter Pan's Flight since I I learned from you that it was not open on opening day. <laughs> That's right. When I come out for the
0: 50th anniversary, I'll have to do that for Magic Kingdom and Epcot. Although a lot of the Epcot ones are gone, so that'll be easy. Yeah, yeah. They opened (laughs) later. (laughs) Anyway, okay, October 19th. A model of a 1964-65 New York World's Fair pavilion created by Walt Disney Productions sold on eBay for $5,100 on October 19th 2002. Which pavilion was
1: it? Hmm. I... I'm not sure. I... I feel like the only... I feel like the only interesting thing that you'd kind of want a model of was maybe something to do with with It's a Small World, whether it was like the Tower of the Four Winds or... Or something along that lines, but fifty one hundred doesn't sound like that much money. I know it doesn't. I would buy a model, yeah, the Tower of the Four Winds. That
0: that was one of the things that fascinated me when I saw photos of it when I was a little boy and saw saw it on television. Um, no, it's General Electric's Progressland Pavilion. Mm, it the model that. was in its original packing crate and protective plexiglass cover. And the model was numbered number 7 of 14, which were created by the industrial display firm of Richard Rush at Studios in Chicago to promote General Electric's pavilion. And of course,
1: we know it as Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. See, I feel like if that went on like one of the Van Eaton auctions today or, or something similar, I feel like that would be. Five times the price. Oh, if not yes. even more than that. It's, Absolutely. it, it <clears throat> I did not have fifty one hundred dollars in two thousand two. I don't have fifty one hundred dollars right now that I could just spend on something like that. But if I if I was close enough to that number, I feel like I could justify it in my head.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, October twentieth.
0: The Stanley Ranch Museum in Garden Grove, California, dedicated a structure known as the First Disney Studio on October 20th, 1984. What is this structure? I am not sure. Well, the structure was a garage. And Walt's first cartoon studio before he and Roy officially began the Disney Brothers studio in 1923 and belonged to the home of his uncle, Robert, who Walt lived with for a short time at 4406 Kingswell Avenue. He didn't stay too long at his uncle's garage, though, as Walt moved down the street on October 8th, 1923 to 4651 Kingswell. There in the back of the real estate office, he and his brother Roy officially set up what is considered to be the first Disney studio on October 16th. Featured at this day's dedication are local officials, Mickey and Minnie Mouse from Disneyland, Imagineer Bill Justice, more than 100 Disney fans, and an official first day cover issue commemorating the dedication canceled by the Garden Grove United States Post Office. And the Stanley Ranch Museum is an assemblage of historic homes and businesses dating from the town's 19th century origins.
1: So, I've always wanted to go to this museum. Yeah, I, I feel so dumb for not getting it because, I mean, I know we've talked about it within the last six months because I believe that was the last stop on uh, Mary Jo's driving mm-hmm. tour that we we took right uh back in march and in April there uh and uh, we've talked about this so many times over the past yeah. couple of years, but it just slipped out when I needed it the most,
0: yeah, Uncle Robert's garage, yeah, so I want to see it because I've seen the house, and I yeah. think it's owned now by um Joanna Disney Miller, so um, and I think somebody's actually living in it now, hmm. so I thought I read that the other day. Anyway, October twenty first, Walt Disney received the final script for Disneyland's newest project on October twenty first, nineteen sixty five. What is the project?
1: I'm, hmm, I'm, I'm going to take a guess, and I'm going to say Pirates. You're
0: absolutely right. Pirates of the Caribbean. Five days later, dialogue recording will begin with performers J. Pat O'Malley and Paul Fries. Anyway, so see, see, well, he well, Walt was uh, familiar with Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Yeah. I mean, we just okay. talked about it. That's why I yeah. guessed it.
0: <laughs> okay, October twenty second. What inaugural service to Walt Disney World began on October twenty second, nineteen seventy one?
1: What. Inaugural? Did you say service? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I I don't know. I don't know.
0: This was service to Walt Disney World's own airport, the Stollport, by both Shawnee and Executive Airlines. It began. You
1: took me to the runway.
0: Yeah during I, one of my visits to Walt Disney World.
1: I would have um, got this if you would have said, "What airport on Walt Disney World probably <laughs> yes. opened?" On this I day thought that would have been a little <laughs> a little too easy.
0: The occasion is marked by a luncheon ceremony with the state of Florida presenting Disney with Stollport License number One. I guess they had high hopes for more than one. A group of local and state politicians and officials are on hand, as well as executives from the airline. Disney announces that Stoll's service will commence with around 26 flights daily, a single airstrip located not too far from the Contemporary Resort. The Lake Buena Vista Stoll port consists of a 2,000-foot runway and plans for a terminal building. Disney has high hopes for the service, but by December 1972, the ideas of affordable short-range air routes was deemed impractical oh. And Stoleport closed. Okay, October 23rd. At Walt Disney World's new Epcot Center, the first World Showcase evening show debuted on October 23rd, 1982. What is the name of this nighttime spectacular?
1: I, okay. I know it is, um, I'm, I'm going to screw it up i know it's um it's something uh something carnival but i can't think or of the it's last carnival one. something carnival something and it it's not coming to me i know the carnival part of it but i can't yeah. think of the rest carnival or carnival de lumiere that's it yep 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 Premiered on the date of
0: World Showcase's official dedication, it celebrates world festivals with fountains, film, music, and other special effects. Using rear projection screens on barges floating on the World Showcase lagoon, the show is controlled by Apple computers. Carnival de Lumière can only be viewed from points between Mexico and Canada. And by the following summer, it will be replaced with a New World Fantasy. October twenty fourth, the Orlando Sentinel runs an article on October thirtieth. Oh no, October twenty fourth. I, I know why I wrote thirtieth. <laughs> um, October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety seven. Over a controversy raging in Florida about Walt Disney World. What is this controversy?
1: If it's ninety seven, I'm I'm gonna guess that. It had something to do with uh, Mr. Toad and, and Save save Mr. Toad's. That's right, because the day before,
0: the rumor leaked <laughs> that Mr. Toad's wild ride was closing. And actors Steven Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst, stars of the wonderful world of Disney's upcoming classic, Tower of Terror, <laughs> come out strongly pro toad while Darius Rucker, Rucker lead lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish makes it clear that he's a poo man. Well,
1: I think it's safe to say that Steve Gutenberg once again uh, ruined everything by <laughs> coming out as pro toad. So as soon as as soon as he did that, they Clearly decided to go the other direction with it and said we don't we want nothing to do with Steve Gutenberg. So thanks, Steve.
0: <laughs> clearly, clearly. Well, now we're going to talk about what's going on. You know, this week in Disney and and our lives. Oh well, Craig, I'm I'm still um still have all these little projects going. My greenhouse that I talked about last week. It we have gone into vertical construction i'm very excited about that yeah i saw the pictures
1: on facebook looked good yeah
0: yeah and i'm and now i'm dreaming of seeds what (laughs) seeds do i want to get i have to be realistic you know i also have to get some um you know a a table, and I'm going to have a not only am I going to have new outdoor raised beds, I'm going to have an indoor raised bed too. So I'm looking into that. I think I've selected what
1: I want. So, um, anyway. If I can have one request, it's just that you do uh, something extremely tacky inside when it's finally finished, like around Christmas time, put like a a bowl with water inside of it, and then put a sign saying like Frosty was here. (laughs) <laughs> something like, that. like they used to sell snow globes in Florida, saying "No, it's frosty inside." So I, I just need you to do something like that when it's. Finished. Oh, that's funny, huh?
0: <laughs> that 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 is cute. So, um, anyway, so I'm excited. So um, about that. So well, there's there's been a few things happening this week in sort of Disney media. After I am so glad. I did not pay30 dollars for Mulan on Disney Plus because if you've seen Mulan is now available for purchase for 29.99 mm-hmm. on other streaming services in it's in 4K.
1: it has bonus features and deleted scenes. Can you believe that? Yeah, I had read somewhere uh, prior to it actually happening that it was going to have to happen eventually. It's just it's one of the deals that that had to be made uh, in terms of its release that eventually it would have to come to digital platforms for sale. A, a very similar thing happened uh, in a different way with the Bill and Ted movie that came out uh, recently, where it, it came out like I want to say the first weekend. Maybe it was you could only you could only rent it and then it was also in theaters. But then I want to it might have even been right in the same opening weekend and they were doing the rental for nineteen ninety nine or then you could buy it for twenty five dollars. And like that just when they made that decision, that made my uh, my head all confused and befuddled because I'm like, why why would you rent something when for five dollars more you can own it? forever and i mean the i knew eventually the same thing was going to happen with mulan why would you pay 30 for it when eventually it was going to be in a in a way where you could own it in a more uh finite form i mean digital they can still pull it at any point in time they really want to but uh, i just i can't get over the 30 dollars for it because i'm i know i'm gonna buy the blu-ray eventually one day for 20. will there be a will and, there be a blu-ray I think they absolutely will still have a, a Blu-ray. If they don't, then that's that's a bold step for Disney moving moving completely away from a physical release. But uh, it's I I will I will go for it, even if it's stripped down of very little bonus features. I do not I do not trust anything that's digital only. I I like having my own hands on. On whatever I own, whether it's video games or, or movies or even music, which is why I still collect CDs and vinyls. I'm probably one of the few out there who still collect CDs, but I just, I, I need to, I need to have it because it's not always, I, it's not always guaranteed that it will always be available. That's in those, Mm -hmm. those little Apple contracts or any contracts you ever click, just accept all the terms with that you don't read. It's in those. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's uh, I it, did. You end up buying Mulan? I can't no, remember. I did not. Okay, no. So, yeah, but I would I would
0: also prefer to have it on Blu-ray. So, um, we'll see what happens <laughs> there with it. But I, and I wonder is as a peace offering to all the irate Disney Plus subscribers that they, they decided to release Soul to Disney Plus on Christmas Day without it being a premiere, Mm -hmm. you know, feature. Cause that surprised me. I mean, there were always those rumors, but even like a week before this announcement, they were still saying it was being released
1: to theaters. Yeah. It's, I I think, uh, is Regal's the one who decided to close all its theaters, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, The one just two minutes from us or so, or 10 minutes. Yeah. They closed. Yeah. I think not knowing when theaters are going to be back to their full, uh, full showings and such. I think I think that made a big impact. And, you know, obviously Disney knows Marvel movies are the money maker uh, when it's all said and done. The, that's going to bring in the most box office possible. And so in the game of moving around release slots and stuff, Marvel definitely has to take priority uh, first and foremost with that. But I, I feel like Soul is... Soul's kind of the one that I feel like they might have screwed up on this one. I'm very happy that it's coming to Disney Plus, and I'm very happy that it's coming to Disney Plus for free and over the holidays when when I'll have the chance to take it in and digest it a couple times. But uh, just given what we know about it from the expo and the little bit that we heard and and all the buzz about it right now... I feel like this would have been a Pixar movie that would have been guaranteed to do over a million, uh, a billion at the box office. The reviews have been very positive. The first reviews. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Onward was ever going to be destined for that. That probably would have done, you know, a couple hundred million, which of course is still nothing to bask at. It's not, that's not a throwaway (laughs) for them. But I feel like, just from everything we know about Seoul, it would have been guaranteed over a billion when all is said and done and i saw one person tweeted i don't remember who it was exactly but uh, essentially they said doing rough math if if every single household paid for disney plus at the monthly rate that's available it would only uh, come out to be about 10 billion a year and theatrical releases like last last year uh disney made 11 billion at the box office with that so uh, there's no there is nothing to say that disney plus is the only direction disney should be going in in terms of showing their movies and i again as a fan i'm very happy that soul is is coming to disney plus for free but Mm -hmm. i i think they should have waited
0: yeah, I do too. I would have loved to have seen it on a big screen mm-hmm. and heard that jazz music. Yeah. Know, and Dolby Atmos and all that.
1: And that's what but, we might, we might get a chance uh-huh. one day.
0: They might do a Who re-release. Knows?
1: Well, you know, speaking of Disney
0: Plus and all that, you know, Disney announced its reorganization this week. Movies, general entertainment, sports are all being released to a distribution arm, which is new that will determine Where a film is released to with an emphasis on Disney streaming services, Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus. So Alan Horn, the head of Disney Studio doesn't have a say now in where his films are being released to. This is all going to be determined by this distribution arm. I mean, so what do you think about that? Since you're our,
1: you know, our, our film expert. You know, for the diz. It's this is really tough. I I understand I understand why they would do this and I understand why they need to think about this, but I I think Alan Horn now has proven that he he really has his finger on the pulse of what works in the company and what doesn't in terms of the movies. And I, I think he also understands as the person who's running the the studios in that sense i think he he generally he generally is okay with the fact that he knows that not everything is going to be a massive success but it's still it's still warranted and that's why we're able to get gems like togo or even n- not necessarily a gem but uh like a couple of years ago with the finest hours which it was i in my opinion was an underrated underrated movie and something like togo it, again it's that it, like soul it's something that would it, it screams to be on the big screen but mm-hmm. maybe we maybe we didn't get it at all if it wasn't for the disney plus realm of it but uh it, that's it, it's really difficult and i just i feel like alan horn understands disney movies and and everything that surrounds them better than anyone else right now so uh it's uh, we'll we'll have to see how it plays out but i I, i'm team alan and i wish i wish he had the most control when it came comes to movies but uh it's you know Maybe if things fall apart, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it does remind me of in Walt's day. Because when I heard all this, I thought,
0: boy, the company was a lot less complicated in Walt's day. But he would make films just for television, and you know, for his television show. And he would make films that were for theatrical release, and sometimes he would move them back and forth. He would make a film that was supposed to be for, you know, the, the Disney's wonderful world of color, and think, you know, this is pretty good. And he would release it to theaters instead. And then, of course, everything would end up on the television show sooner or later. And then he would sometimes things are so destined for theatrical release. And he would think, you know, let's move this over to the television show. So it sort of reminds me of that in a way.
1: Yeah, that is true. That is true. So I'm, I'm, That's why I'm not like overly, overly uh, passionate one way or another about the changes. I I, I'm not saying this is the end of Disney Studios as we know it. I just I'm more concerned in the sense that they they have a great person running it in Alan Horn, and I don't want to make it sound like the Alan Horn fan club, but I. uh, he has a very distinct way of speaking and presenting himself. It's He is a character in of himself, and it's actually a highlight of D23 Expo, getting to hear him speak. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very entertaining. And I didn't realize until I think this past year that I, I didn't know how deep – that he was in the industry and that, like, he, you know, he was with Warner Brothers before Disney, and he's a big reason why the Harry Potter movies were made the way that they were. So, like, in terms of his knowledge in in the movie industry, he is almost second to none. It's, it's a man who knows who knows what's going to work and and really understands it and so i i'm not against it but it's it, it's just going to be interesting to see what what the company looks like in in terms of what it's doing with theatrical versus disney plus in in five years from now and what what the world even looks like five years from now that's always a big question yeah it's true these days
0: Okay, well, it'll be interesting to see how the streaming services uh, are transformed yeah. by this decision. So, well, I want to remind you of a couple events we've been talking about that are coming up. Uh, Give Kids the World Night of a Million Lights is ha- tickets are on sale for that. It's an event that's happening from November thirteenth, twenty twenty, through January third, twenty twenty one, and. All the, there's, is a great video. I shared it on my connecting with Walt Facebook page. The, the, um, our Walt Disney World show today also showed the video sort of behind the scenes of how they're decorating the villas and some of the other buildings there. It looks magnificent. And, um, I'm excited about it. It reminds me of when, um, Osborne lights like its first year or so. When they just decorated, you know, that street that had, like, the Golden Girls house mm-hmm. and all that, and you just
1: walked down it? It reminds me of that a bit. Yeah, and, and I, um, I never got to see that. So, I, I I mean, I've seen photos and such from it, but I didn't get to experience that. So, I, I feel like it is a... Uh, it's a long time coming around that it's something that's going to be extremely similar. And I think I might actually, I might be getting a sneak peek at it. I'm not, not quite Ooh. sure beyond, you know, seeing the video that you posted and, and uh, we've posted because, uh, uh, there might be something that pops up that I get a chance to see it, but it looks, it well, looks incredible. Cool. It does. It looks really
0: magnificent. I have to get my tickets. I have to decide what night I'm going on. And then, and you get to ride, a, I think, three attractions and you get a free scoop of ice cream and Santa Claus will be there to to say hello and all that. So you definitely want to go and see the villas that Dreams Unlimited Travel and uh moving to Orlando uh, have created there, decorated. Uh And then we have the Diz Family Reunion uh 2021 is being put on by Give Kids the World, March 25th through the 27th at from 2021 at the Contemporary Resort. So um, we'll have a link to the tickets for both of these events um, in our show notes, and I plan to see you at both of these. Uh, Reminder about the story time with Michael Reber, thanks to listener Sean. We have three interested artists. The shows that, if you're interested in illustrating these, these are the original stories, fairy tales from the book uh Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Book it's on the Project Gutenberg site uh it's we uh, what we'll do is I'll read the original stories fairy tales that are illustrated by artists out there listening to this show right now and then and of course we'll promote you and we'll promote the site that you have if you're selling your artwork um you know during the video and before and after and then we will um so anyway, so if you're interested, email um, me and Craig, and we'll tell you our emails at the closing of the show. There's some stories still up for grabs. Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Hansel and Gretel, Snow White and Rose Red. Wouldn't you love to illustrate Walt's very first feature-length film, the fairy tale that he based his first feature-length film on? Um, so send an email to both of us.
1: Speaking of which... Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, you can find me uh, talking to you on a bunch of different shows on the Dis Unplugged podcast network. But if you want to interact a little bit closer, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Teleclaster. And then uh, email me at Craig at WDWinfo.com as well. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages. Email me at Michael
0: at com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling-ConnectingWithWalt. You want to s- connect with me there? Uh, Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. You can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, in Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyUnplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and Amazon Podcasts where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings and possible so more people can discover us and become part of the Connecting us Walt family. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy.